We're back in Romans, the seventh chapter again today. <clears throat> I think what we're, we're going to do today, we're going to pick up in verse 4 and read down through verse 6 again. There's just some things that we wanted to expound on more today uh, from within those verses. So let's read Romans 7, 4 through 6, and I'll be reading from the New King James Version this morning. Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come to your word once again, as already has been said, Father, just pour out your Spirit upon us. Give us understanding. Give us, help us to to grow in knowledge. Help us to know more of, of who You are. Help us to know more of the sacrifice of Christ. Help us to know more of the Holy Spirit that indwells us. Lord, help us to know more of who we are in Christ. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. In verse 4, Therefore, my brethren, you also have become dead to the law through the body of Christ, that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God. Last week we talked about Paul's use of marriage as an illustration and of how by the death of one, death terminated the marriage contract and permitted remarriage. Uh, he was using this as an illustration. And then Paul said that we have become dead to the law. We have died to the law. In chapter 6, he said we have died to sin. So having died to sin, having died to the law through the body of Christ so that we might be married to another, to Christ. So we talked about that to quite a degree last week. To, to be married to Him who has died and has risen again. So having been placed in Christ, united with Christ, law's curse and condemnation on sin has been taken away, dead to sin, dead to law's condemnation. Why? For what purpose? And it says that we should bear fruit to God. Bear fruit to God. Then uh, the first uh, part of verse 7 says, for when we were in the flesh, and I'm going to pause right there, because we didn't talk about this word flesh last Sunday. This is going to come up a lot uh, over the next several weeks. And, and so I thought it would be good if we, we just kind of talk about this here, because in, in Scripture, flesh, depending on the context, has different meanings. And you have to follow the context to know what we're talking about. Because sometimes in Scripture, flesh simply means 
this body, this mortal body. Uh, the great statement of Paul in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life, life that I now live in the flesh, in this body that's walking around, that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So sometimes flesh means simply this mortal body. Other times, flesh can mean all of mankind, all humans. Uh, just, just an example of First Peter, first chapter, 24 and 25. Because all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of the grass. The grass withers and the flower falls away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Now this is the word which by the gospel was preached to you. So sometimes flesh means all of mankind. In Luke 3rd uh, chapter 6 verse, uh, this was uh, quoting Isaiah in talking about the coming of, of John the Baptist and, and his uh, ministry and his message. And it says, And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. All. All of mankind. So, so Paul, in... in Romans 7, verse 5, he's not referring to all of mankind. He's, he's not re referring to uh, the physical body here. In his context, I believe what Paul is referring to is something that we once were, but now are not. We once were, but now are not. Once in the flesh, but now, as born-again children of God, in the Spirit. So... And again, we've talked about contrast over and over over the last few weeks. And so here would be another contrast in the flesh and in the spirit. For the born again, we were once in the realm of the flesh, but now, praise the Lord, by the shed blood of Jesus Christ, by the mercy of God, we are now in the realm of the spirit. And I think I'm going to go jump a little bit ahead because Paul is going to keep going with this. And so let's go into the 8th chapter for just a moment and kind of clarify all of this in Romans the 8th chapter verses 3 and 4. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. So he's talking about He came in a human body, in a, in a body. So God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Why? Why did He come? On account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And then let's drop down to verse 8 and 9. gives more clarity, I believe, even, even here. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Can this be talking about mortal body? No. No. Because as born-again children of God, that, that's our heart's desire is to please God and everything that we'd say and do, do it to the glory of God to please Him. So th this is talking of what we were. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God, but you are not in the flesh, Paul says, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not his. 
How do you know if you're born again? Does the Spirit of God indwell you? Well, how do I know? Well, Scripture also says that His Spirit will bear witness with our spirit to let us know, to tell us that we are a child of God. So you pray, and you pray, and you pray. I, I believe uh, that when we go into Romans 8 that this clarifies the, the flesh that Paul is talking about and referring to in, in that 7th chapter, verse 5. In the flesh, in this context, is, is a position opposite of being in the Spirit. Contrast. In, in the flesh would be speaking here, again in this context, of the unregenerate, those who are still lost, spiritually dead in their trespasses and sins. Again, there's that contrast. In the Spirit is the born again, born of God, born of the Spirit. So now let's go back, Romans 7, 5, and 6. For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. Now I pause here again for a moment. Now remember what Paul has said in chapter 6, what fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? Well, the fruit that we had then was lawlessness, which led to more lawlessness on top of on top of taking us deeper and deeper and deeper, which end was death, eternal death, uh, eternal separation from God. Again, we spoke on this probably a couple of weeks ago. And in verse 6 then, but now... See, here's one of those great transitions, isn't it? But now, but now, you you were, but now you are. You know, how, how often has Paul used that? And such were some of you, but now you have been changed. I, I love when Paul uses these transitions. But now, we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by. And what were we held by? We were held captive to sin so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Having become dead to the law that we might be married to another, Jesus Christ, all, all born-again believers, part of the true church, the bride of Christ, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit. You see, every born-again believer has been set free from the law that we may serve in the newness of the Spirit. Now listen, uh, this was, uh, I'm, I'm kind of reading John Stott again more, and, and, and I came across this, and, and I'm going to be perfectly honest with you, I don't know a lot about John Stott, so maybe some of you do, if, if, if are we okay there? Um, so uh, I, I assumed I was, so so this is from him. So So listen, talking about freedom to serve. Christian freedom is freedom to serve and not freedom to sin. Well, shall we sin that grace may more abound? Certainly not. We're not free to sin so that grace may abound. Paul has been talking about that, but we're free to serve. He goes on. The motives and means of our service have completely changed. Why do we serve? Now, everybody listen. Everybody listen. Not because the law is our master and we have to, but because Christ is our husband and we want to. See, our desire has changed. We just changed. 
That, that's good. That's probably worthy to be written down. Not because the law is our master and we have to, but because Christ is our husband and we want to. We want to freely serve Him. Now, now listen, here's another one. We freely serve not because obedience leads to salvation, but because salvation leads to obedience. That's good right there too. That's why we serve. We don't serve and work to earn our salvation. No. As we're born again, then we're, we're born again unto good works, to do good works, which He has laid out before us beforehand. At verse 6 again, But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held captive to, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of of the letter, not in the oldness, but in the newness. If you want to call that another contrast, there's another one. And and for me, here's what 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 comes to mind when you're thinking that, not the letter, you know, not not Old Testament, New Testament. How about this Old Covenant, New Covenant? That's where I went. That's where my thoughts went in, in talking about the letter, the the letter, and, and and that's what came to my mind and. And and I felt okay about that when, when I started reading John Piper, and that's where he went too. And I thought, well, maybe I'm okay here in, in the midst of this, uh, the contrast of the old and new. And here, let's let's go to Second Corinthians third chapter, and I think you'll see why. Second Corinthians third chapter verses five through eleven. This is the Apostle Paul again. Notice how, as I say this often, how his message is the same is the same, is the same in all these different letters and all his ministries and all his travels. Everything, his message is always the same. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if the ministry, if, now listen to, listen to all this, this is great. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, Ten Commandments, written and engraved on stones, what, what, what happened as Moses was up there and he came down? What, what, his countenance was what? He glowed so much that they couldn't even look upon him and then that, and then that faded away. Remember that? Well, listen, listen to this. But if the ministry of death, talking about that which was written on stone, written and engraved on stone, was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit, of the Spirit not be more glorious? For if the ministry of condemnation, that written on the law, remember the law could only condemn, no one could be saved by the law, For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect. Again, talk about that written on stone because of the glory that excels the the Spirit. For if what is passing away was glorious, the law, what remains is much more glorious. Isn't that great? 
I, I hope that helps clarify this. You know, in, in Romans 7, Paul said to, to serve not in the oldness of the letter. And then in, in 2 Corinthians, Paul says that they were ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. I hope you're putting all kinds of pieces together as the Holy Spirit speaks to you in regard to all this. And here's what I want to do today. I want us to go back and look and remind ourselves of the Old Covenant. So so let's go to Jeremiah, that classic Scripture in regards to that covenant that was made in Jeremiah 31. And let's read 31 through 34. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. You're putting pieces together even there. That God was the husband to them. He was as a husband to them. And, and, and so now we have died to the law so that we might be married to another. Isn't that great? 33. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. It's not going to be on tablets of stone. I, I, I will write it in their minds and write it on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother say, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. When we stop and consider and read this, every time I read that, to me, see, this is what happened when I got saved. And you too. The Lord took out my heart of stone. He gave me that living spiritual heart. I was dead in my trespasses and sins, but He made me alive, gave me a living heart that I may serve Him. That, that's, that's how we got saved, is this very thing that He's talking about here. And as we read that, we, we, we learn that in the New Covenant, the law will no longer be mainly external, doing deeds, trying to live up to a standard that no one could but it will be mainly internal, written on the heart. In, in other words, the law will no longer be that it is a demand from outside pressing on us, but it will be a desire from inside. It will be a desire from inside. And, and I don't know if you noticed as we read that, because um, you know we've been reading and talking about uh, the newness of the Spirit. Well, if you look over that, Spirit is not mentioned at all in that portion. But we can get that from Ezekiel. So let's go there. 
So let's go there, Ezekiel 11th chapter, verses 19 and 20. Is the message the same throughout the Word of God? (laughs) Then I will give them one heart, and I will put a new spirit within them, and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh, that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God. Is the message of, of Ezekiel and Jeremiah the same? Yes, it is. Let's go to Ezekiel 36, verses 26 and 27. I will give them a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. See, these are promises of the new covenant. Different from the covenant that was made with Israel when they came out of Egypt. Different from the law, the Mosaic covenant, the one written in stone, the covenant, the oldness of the letter. So so do we see the connection and and of what Paul was talking about in in Romans 7. The the oldness of, of the letter. So here, I'm just going to ask this. It's a question that we can all, I'm, I'm, I'm sure we can all answer this. When, when did this new covenant get inaugurated, if I could say it that way? When did it come into place? When did it begin? And I, I believe the answer would be this, the work of Christ upon the cross. Specifically in His death and resurrection and in the outpouring of the Spirit on Christ's people. Jesus spoke this, deci- this it was a decisive word in, in Luke 22, verse 20. Likewise, He, Jesus, also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood, which is shed for you. He knew that going to the cross is going to, going to usher in a new covenant. The new covenant that was talked about in Jeremiah. The new covenant that was talked about in Ezekiel. A new covenant in my blood. He means that everything that the new covenant promised is provided by His blood, His sacrifice. Everything. Everything. Because of the blood of Jesus, our sins are forgiven, as Jeremiah 31-34 promises. Because of the blood of Christ, we are given the Holy Spirit, as Ezekiel 36-27 promises. Because of the blood of Christ, we know God Can I say personally, internally, internally? Because of the blood of Christ, the law is written on our hearts, not just on tablets of stone. So let's go back one more time to Romans 7, verse 6. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died. I I did it again, didn't I? I, I, I copied it twice in my notes, and so I'm, I'm, you can tell I'm reading my notes. I'm going to go back up here and read it. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. Now, here I, I, I told you I was reading Piper, and I just want to read some from him. Quote, 
Now we see that being dead to the law, the letter, and serving in newness of the Spirit means serving as beneficiaries of the new covenant. Yes. God planned the inadequacy of the old covenant. Have you ever thought about that? But He did. God planned the inadequacy of the old covenant with a view to a great superiority of a new covenant in Christ. So that Christ would be greater and get greater glory. That's that's what we read from Corinthians, isn't it? The old covenant was designed to lead us to Christ and to His Spirit and to faith. If we want to honor Christ the way we should and enjoy Him the way we should, then we need to see the greatness of the work of God in the new covenant beneath our salvation like an ocean of depth and majesty. What does it mean now to see our life, our serving in newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter as a blessing of the new covenant? It means that underneath our lives is the massive foundation of the blood of Christ, the blood of the eternal covenant. Oh, never forget that our life is blood-bought. Think of it often. Never move far from the cross. It is and will be your wisdom in life and your comfort in death. All your serving is blood-bought. How true is that? This means that your freedom from the law is because of what Christ did on the cross. Christ bore the law's penalty and fulfilled the law's demand for all who believe. The law's condemnation and demand for perfection have been satisfied for all who are in Christ. So as verse 6 says, we have been delivered from the law. This is a blood-bought new covenant blessing, glory in it for Christ's sake knowing that all your sins have have been forgiven. For I will forgive their iniquity, and their sin I will remember no more. Preach this to yourselves. Preach this to yourself this week when Satan assails you with accusations. Remind him and yourself of the new covenant promise of Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-four and the all-sufficient payment of the blood of Christ. Remember that a new spirit has been given to you God has put His own Spirit within you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. He is the Spirit of Christ and the Spirit of the Father. Born again believer, we know that the Father, not just as the first great commandment, but as a Spirit-given experience. And you have fellowship with the Son by His Spirit. You died to the law so that you might be joined to another. You know Him and you walk with Him, and you fellowship with Him. To live is Christ. The law of God is being written on your heart. The will of God does not crush you from outside with its demands for unattainable perfection. The law is satisfied in Jesus. Now the will of God rises in your hearts as the Spirit transforms your desire and makes you free. O blood-bought Christian, know your blessings Know your privileges. Know what it is to be the beneficiary of the new covenant. An unbeliever, this is free for all who believe. Turn from self-reliance and receive Christ as the treasure of your life. End quote. Romans 10, verses 9 through 13. 
that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto salvation, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I just want to end with, with a couple verses. Let's go to Hebrews 13, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do His will, working in you what is well-pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give You thanks for Your Word. And, and Lord, just from, from clarity that we can get when we just read, read, <laughs> read Your Word, and we go to the Old Testament and we go to, to the different letters that Paul has written into the Gospels. And Lord, then we can see the message is the same, it's the same, it's the same. And it's all about Jesus. It's all about His sacrifice. It's all about the blood of the everlasting covenant. And Father, we are most grateful that you have provided a way that we may be able to stand in your presence someday, clothed in a righteousness not of our own, but in the righteousness of Christ, the one who has died for us. So, Father, we give you thanks. And may we never cease to praise you for who you are and for what you have done in Christ for us. And Father, help us to always be reminded that we have the Spirit in us. So we are never alone, never alone when we are in Christ. So Father, help us to remember that. And when trials come, help us to know as some of the lyrics we sang today, that when I look into your holiness and I, and I see your face, Lord, the things of this world, its troubles, its trials, all of the things that are going on grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. And Father, should there be someone even here today or someone who may listen to this at, an, at a later time that they're yet lost, they're still dead, their, their heart is stone. Father, that by Your mercy, by Your grace, by the truth of Your Word and the power of the Spirit, that, Father, that You would grant them faith that they might believe the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That You would grant them repentance as, as they would get a glimpse of You and, and in seeing You, the Most Holy God, that their sin would just be made all the more evident to them 
And Father, that in the presence of your holiness that they would confess their sin and cry out to you for repentance. And Lord, grant them repentance. Grant them faith that they could believe and turn from their sin and follow you the remainder of their days. So Lord, we give you thanks. We give you praise. And all the glory. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.